You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. ask you, are you saved? Are you saved? John chapter 3 might be a scripture you've heard before. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. Do you know John 3.17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We're a part of that mission. Isn't that amazing? We've been recipients of the incredible grace of Christ, and He calls us to follow Him into a life of sharing compassion, grace, and truth for the sake of rescuing the lost and the broken in this world. As Pastor Danny continues our study in the book of Acts in today's message, we'll be reminded that sharing the gospel is at the core of who we are. And as the early church demonstrated, it's even worth the highest price to bring Christ to our world. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 8 with today's edition of The Living Word. chapter 8 is where we are. Nobody saw it coming, but God's plan in the first outreach, if you will, of the early church in Jerusalem, the first outreach came by way of persecution. No volunteering, no, I'll go there, you know, but they were thrust out, running for their lives because Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the apostle Paul, is leading the charge against the church. He hated Christians, he hated Jesus, he believed Jesus was a false Messiah, but boy, did his life ever change on that day, the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus Christ personally, and he was transformed, born again, and he would later become the apostle Paul, one of Jesus' greatest apostles. But we read verse four last week, pick it up again there. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Samaria was not a place that good Jews would normally go. They would go out of their way to bypass Samaria because during the Assyrian captivity, some Jews intermarried with Assyrians and the other Jews that stayed pure, if you will, and did not intermarry, then looked down on after the captivity those who had intermarried with the Assyrians. They were from the area of Samaria, and so they became known as the Samaritans. And they were, well, good Jews didn't hang out with Samaritans. But here Philip ends up there. When the crowds heard Philip, saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So God's confirming the message of the gospel with these miraculous events. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, 
gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on or upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, there are three issues in the text. One is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's an important topic, but it's not the main focus of the text. The second is the transformation of Peter and John, who now not only go to Samaria, but on their way back home, they go to many Samaritan villages and they preach the gospel. They've been changed. They would not have done this. Before, But that's still not the main focus of the text. The main focus of the text is clearly the supposed transformation of this man named Simon who practiced sorcery. And he gained a great reputation, became known as the great power of God. It's still fascinating to me that hell can give you power. And that Satan is a powerful being. I thought back to when Moses and Aaron were sent to Pharaoh, and God allowed them to do miraculous things before Pharaoh. For example, Moses throws down his staff, and it becomes a snake. Ah, but Pharaoh's magicians, or his sorcerers, also threw their staffs down, and they became snakes. Moses and Aaron, God allowed them to turn water into blood. Ah, but Pharaoh's magicians also turned water into blood. The dividing line came when God tells Moses, take some dust, throw it into the air, and Moses does, and the dust becomes gnats. At this point, Pharaoh's magicians said to Pharaoh, this must be by the finger of God, because only God can bring life out of death. Not just in the physical realm, In the spiritual realm, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Ephesians 2, before we came to know Christ, Ephesians 2 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God made you alive with Christ. Only God can bring life out of death. And yet something is clearly wrong with Simon. He believed in Jesus. He was baptized 
But when he tries to buy the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter says to him, may your money perish with you. I see that your heart is not right with God. You're full of bitterness and captive to sin. When Peter says, may your money perish with you, that word in the Greek is also the same word translated in Matthew chapter 7, red letter portion. This is Jesus, chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 13. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to, here's the word, but translated here, destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Same word, John chapter 17. John 17, verse 12. Again, Jesus speaking. He says, as he's praying to his Father in heaven, while I was with them, his disciples, I protected them, kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Who's he talking about? Judas, Iscariot. The Bible prophesied about him. Think about it. He's one of the 12 chosen apostles, handpicked by Jesus, and yet he wasn't saved. He's in hell while we're having church. And yet none of the other 11 apostles knew the truth about his heart. Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning, but nobody but Jesus knew. The literal translation of what Peter said to Simon is may your money go to hell with you. He believed in Jesus. He was baptized, but he wasn't saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 2, listen to it. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. My first year after becoming a Christian, I was at Liberty Baptist College, now Liberty University. My dorm, my freshman year, was a Ramada Inn that was going bankrupt, and Liberty went into a lease with Ramada Inn, and they had all the top floors of this Ramada Inn, saved the Ramada Inn from going bankrupt, and now all the bottom floors, almost without exception, were for hotel guests, and all the top floors were dorm rooms. And that was my dorm. There were dorms all around Lynchburg. They had no buildings at Liberty in those days. I've been very evangelistic ever since I became a Christian. What that means is I've wanted to every opportunity I get to share the gospel. I want to share Jesus with people because I want to see them saved like I got saved. So one day, downstairs from my room at the Ramada Inn in the vending area, and there's a young boy there. And I thought, maybe there's an opportunity for me to share Christ with him. And so I got in a conversation with him, found out he's traveling with his family. And I got to the point where I asked him, I asked him, I said, I said, are you saved? He looked at me with those deer in the headlights, you know, kind of look, like, what in the world are you talking about? And then he, and then he said, from what? <laughs> I said, from hell. And again, he gave me the deer in the headlights look. You see, I grew up hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I grew up hearing about and believing in, and I still believe in, because Jesus does, a place called hell. And I just assumed everybody knew about Jesus and about hell. Boy, was I wrong. This boy didn't know. I know we're in a church service, but let me ask you, are you saved? Are you saved? John chapter 3 might be a scripture you've heard before. John chapter 3 and verse 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. Do you know John 3.17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. A guy, Simon the Pharisee, invited Jesus to a dinner at his house. And during this dinner at Simon's house, a woman that everybody knew who she was, she interrupted the dinner party. She begins to weep. She wets Jesus' feet with her tears. She stoops down and she dries them with her hair. Simon is thinking, if this man really were a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman this is. In other words, he would not allow her to do this. And Jesus, knowing what Simon's thinking, addressed Simon. And then after addressing Simon to try to teach him a lesson, he turns back to the woman. And let me read you what he says to this woman. Luke chapter seven, verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Luke's gospel, chapter 13. Again, Jesus. Verse 22, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he'll answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evil doers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. He's talking about religious people who believe in God that aren't saved. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ, he's the only way, the truth, and the life. So many passages in the New Testament use that phrase. I'm not going to go into them, but Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, etc. Use that phrase, the saved. It's saved versus not saved, saved versus lost. And what are we saved from? Two things. Matthew chapter 5, reading a lot of red letter today. Verse 29, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's not talking about literally cutting off a piece of your body. He's saying, whatever the cost is, whatever it costs you, Be willing to sacrifice it so you're not cast one day into hell. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says in Matthew 23, addressing again these religious leaders, chapter 23, verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. He says it again in verse 33. 
<laughs> you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? In Mark 9, 43, Jesus said that the fire, fire of hell never goes out. In Luke 16, he tells a story, not a parable, about two real people, one whose name we know, one whose name we do not know. One is a rich man, that's all we know about him, but we know he wasn't saved. And a man named Lazarus who was a beggar, and yet he was saved. And they both woke up after dying in, it says hell, but before Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood and gave his life for the sacrifice that could save men, then anybody saved in, by faith looking forward to the coming Messiah, you went down in your spirit and you went to Sheol. But there were two compartments and Jesus confirms that in his Luke 16 story. The rich man woke up in torment on one part and he's in flames and he's in torment. But he can see Abraham on the other side. He can see Lazarus. And he says to Father Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus here and let him dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm tormented in these flames. And Abraham basically says, you made your decision in life. Lazarus made his decision in life. You are there. You can't come here and we can't go there. There's no crossing over. And when Jesus died on the cross, it says he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. They were in prison, but they were in comfort. It's a place of comfort. It's called Abraham's bosom because it's the faith of Abraham. Through your seed, God said, the Messiah, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Ephesians 4, quoting from Psalm 68, a messianic psalm, that when he ascended, he led captives in his train. And now all those who were with Abraham are now in heaven. And that's why Paul the apostle can say affirmatively, for the person who is saved, you die in this life to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Two people excited about it. But we're not just saved from hell. Hell's going to empty out one day. Revelation chapter 20 tells us, prophesies. Verse 11, John the apostle says, I saw a great white throne, him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We're saved from hell. And then we're saved from eternal damnation in this awful sounding place called the lake of fire. Some people teach that you can lose your salvation. If that's true, is that what happened to Simon? I had a couple last week grab me in the lobby and they asked me a question about Revelation chapter three, verse five. Revelation chapter three, verse five seems to suggest that God may choose sometimes to blot someone's name out of the book of life. And what they're asking me from that verse is, can you lose your salvation? They're concerned about one of their children who grew up believing in Christ and living for Christ, but now has gone astray. And they're concerned about their child. There are verses on both sides of the issue. You know that? So much so that two whole camps have grown up within the church, within Christendom. One's called Calvinism, 
And one's called Arminianism. And Arminius teach that you can lose your salvation. And there are different degrees of, of what can happen to cause you to lose your salvation depending on which camp of Arminianism you're in. And then there's the Calvinists, and there's different degrees of Calvinism. And the five-pointers, the hyper-Calvinists, they say not only can you never lose your salvation, but you don't have any choice whether, whether you're gonna get it or not. You're predestined either way. You're either predestined to be saved or you're predestined to be damned. And that's foolishness in my opinion, biblically. But the point is this, the point is there are verses on both sides that so much so that there are two whole camps of belief. But let me share with you, the emphasis of the scriptures is not on whether you can lose your salvation, it's whether you have it or not. That's the emphasis. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, listen to it carefully. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. That's the emphasis of scripture. Did you know there's a whole book of the Bible? It's a short book, but there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to answering that question of how to know that you're saved. In my final few moments, go with me to 1 John. 1 John, and I want to start with 1 John 5. Obviously, we're not going to read through the whole letter or book of 1 John. But the first time I heard this verse in 1 John chapter 5, It was right after I became a Christian. My grandmother lived with us. She had 10 children, seven of her own, and three adopted from a second marriage because her first husband was killed in a car accident. And so all of my aunts and uncles and cousins, they, they flocked to our house on a regular basis, on a regular basis. And right after I became a Christian, it was a Sunday afternoon, and the house is full with my relatives. And I'll never forget my Uncle James and my Uncle Ed sitting there on the couch, and I'm near them, and I'm listening because they're talking about the Bible. And I was like a sponge. I just wanted to hear everything. I wanted any, give me input, input, input. And they're, they're discussing now whether you can know if you're saved or not. And Uncle Ed, with his cigar, would say, I don't think anybody can really know. And my Uncle James pulled out his Bible, and he turned to 1 John chapter 5, and he read verse 13. It was the first time I'd heard this verse, but I love this verse. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And Uncle James read it. Uncle Ed puffed and gave a thought. I I know it says that, but I don't believe anybody can really know. But it says, this is the reason 1 John was written, so that you can know. So what does 1 John say? I'm going to give you four things. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let me tell you another way of putting that so I want everybody to get it. Unless you're longing for another world and not this one, you should really question whether you're saved. Unless you're really longing for a place we call heaven, you really should doubt your salvation. I'm not saying it to boast. You've heard me say it before. I I can't remember the last day. I can't remember the last time in a day I didn't think about heaven. I start pretty much every morning. I can't remember a morning. There's probably been some that I didn't start this way, but pretty much every morning I can remember since I've become a Christian, at least as far back as I can remember, I've started by our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. 
May your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. I long for Jesus to come because I long for a world filled with righteousness. If you're not longing for something outside of this planet, then you really ought to question, am I really saved? Because if you're really saved, your citizenship is not here. Your citizenship is in heaven. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I'm longing, I'm longing for heaven to come to earth or for me to leave earth and go to heaven. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience as we study the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's message again or more from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. As you make your way through the Bible, you might be surprised how something hits your heart exactly where you're at. God's Word has a way of doing that, and it's unmistakably God's way of speaking to you. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God over the radio, even if they weren't intending to. Pray that listeners would be open to hearing the gospel message. Pray also that we would continue to seek God's will for this program in teaching the Word and reaching the world. One additional thing that we'd ask you to pray about is if God would be leading you to support the Living Word financially. If so, you can find a way to do that through our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for your support. Thanks for praying, giving, and listening here on The Living Word.